This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. The FDA's delays in approving tests for the coronavirus may have cost many lives, to say nothing of the rapidly increasing unemployment and a now unavoidable economic downturn. Cato's Michael Cannon discusses some of the policy changes he'd like to see to both stem the tide of this pandemic and changes to make our healthcare system more responsive to rapidly changing needs. The government so far has not taken the steps it needs to take in order to allow the sort of widespread testing for the novel coronavirus that we would need in order to uh, understand how this this virus has spread so far and uh, understand how how best to combat it, what containment measures are going to work and what containment measures are not going to work. And that failure to take those steps has, has really made this problem much worse than it needed to be. What happened was that for two months, the first two months of a pandemic, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration blocked from the market in the United States all but one diagnostic test for this virus. And the one that it allowed on the market was the one produced by the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta. And it turned out that the CDC's test was faulty. They sent that test to lots of uh, state labs, and many of those state labs could not make the test work. Those included state labs that were, were trying to respond uh, to the breakouts in New York and Washington State. And so, really, at what, whereas states that had uh, very that were not hotspots, they had tests that they were not even using. Uh, so, so the CDC, so the EFDA created these shortage situations by having such a high barrier to entry into the, into the U.S. market for these tests. And then the CDC did a terrible job of rationing this very scarce uh, uh, product. Uh, well, first they did a terrible job of producing it, and then a terrible job of getting the existing tests to where they needed to be. And that has really let this problem grow uh, uh, much more rapidly than it needed to. And it is largely the reason why we are having these uh, these massive shutdowns and these massive uh, uh, pieces of legislation moving through Congress, uh, spending uh, uh, billions upon billions of dollars and wanting to send money to everybody and 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 so much more fear and uncertainty around this issue. It all be- it began for want of enough diagnostic tests. Okay, so uh, there have been some positive changes on uh, the side of the ledger. That is, a lot of uh, states have made it a lot easier for uh, health facilities to operate, giving them uh, quite a bit more flexibility. The feds have done some, taken some similar actions. How do you evaluate that on the whole? So those steps are welcome. Uh, I think you have to understand them in the context. Again, uh, this problem, the the, the outbreak has uh, become much worse than it needed to be because we were not able to do the aggressive uh, public health legwork that you want to do at the beginning of this sort of a crisis. Uh, And that failure has necessitated a lot of steps that states have taken in order to remove the barrier, other barriers that the government usually puts in the way of getting healthcare resources to people who need them. These include things like 
the barriers that clinician licensing laws create uh, to health professionals practicing in a state other than their own, in a state in which they do not have a license, uh, allowing people, uh, health, health professionals who have let their licenses lapse, maybe because they've retired or they've changed professions, uh, begin to practice again. So states like uh, New York and Massachusetts have taken steps in this direction to liberalize those laws. There are other laws, though, that are standing in the way of creating the sort of uh, capacity that we will need for the, uh, the, the wave of serious COVID-19 infections that is coming. And again, that wave is going to be worse because of the government's initial failures. Uh, those include laws that many states still have on the books that require you to get permission from the state before you can build a new hospital bed. These states are called, or these, these laws are called certificate of need laws. Many states still have them. Some states have repealed them. But many states still require you to get permission from a state board before you can build a new hospital, expand your hospital uh, so that you can care for more people and so forth. And usually what ends up happening with these laws is incumbent hospitals go to the board and testify you should not be able to open a new hospital that competes with them. And so you don't get uh, uh, new hospital beds. And in some cases, these laws can even apply to medical equipment. And so some st states need to move those uh, or uh, uh, clear those laws out of the way so that uh, hospitals and others can, uh, uh, can expand the number of beds that are available to take care of this, uh, this large number of patients with severe COVID-19 that are coming their way. Uh, but you know, before we even get to those changes, there's still changes that need to be made on the diagnostic testing front. If you want to understand how bad the FDA's failure was here, consider what would happen if the if the FDA were had no power to block diagnostic tests from the market. The first diagnostic tests for this SARS-CoV-2 virus, the one that causes the disease COVID-19, were available in early January. They were available on January 10th or January 13th, sometime around then. And as soon as they became available, uh, all sorts of labs around the world, uh, or as soon as the gene sequencing of this, uh, of, of this novel coronavirus became available, all sorts of other labs began uh, developing diagnostic tests. The Charité Hospital in Berlin was among the first. The World Health Organization uh, uh, certified their tests and began distributing that test to uh, somewhere around uh, 120 countries by now, uh, 1.5 million of these tests. If the moment that the Charité Hospital had developed their test and other labs around the world began developing their tests, American consumers, American health systems, American labs had been able to buy those immediately, well, that would have supercharged the, the demand and, and the investment in the in efforts to produce these tests, there would have been more tests available around the world, but also in the United States. And we could have done the public health surveillance that we needed to do. We could have tested not only people who are symptomatic, but anyone who had traveled from uh, from the, the hotspots like Wuhan, China, or Italy. We could have done random testing of people throughout the United States to have an idea uh, uh, of how far this virus had spread and was spreading. Um, but we didn't do that. And as a result, 
as I mentioned before, the virus spread more broadly uh, than than anyone that it needed to, and that anyone knew. And you have to keep this in mind, uh, this this profound uh, government failure in mind, when you are looking at the government to take other steps in order to mitigate the damage from this pandemic. The the reason the FDA made the mistakes that it did is it, that it faces a huge information problem. The FDA will come under all sorts of criticism if one of these diagnostic tests that it allows on the market is faulty. But if it blocks all the tests from the market, then it doesn't come under that that uh, that criticism, and no one can say really that I would uh, I in particular would have been saved from this test if there had been more diagnostic tests or saved from this virus if there had been more of these diagnostic tests on the market. We know that those people exist, but it's much harder to identify them on an individual basis, and so the FDA never gets in sufficient information about the people who are harmed by its overly cautious approach toward letting tests on the market. And the same thing applies to new medical treatments and medical devices uh, and so forth. And the government faces the same sort of information asymmetry all across the board. Politicians right now are very afraid that they are going to get blamed if they don't implement the most restrictive sort of shutdowns and infringements on our civil liberties as they can in order to stop the spread of the virus. Uh, but they get much less information about the harm, the economic harm that those measures are going to cause. So just as we did, just as the FDA did not make smart cost benefit uh, decisions at the, uh, at the beginning of this pandemic crisis, uh, we should not be expecting politicians to be making smart cost-benefit decisions right now. We should, uh, we should urge them all to approach this with a sense of calm and humility about uh, what they really know about this crisis and, uh, and the effectiveness of the, the, the measures that they are going to be using uh, and, and, and ha- already have implemented. And they're not just as we don't have enough information about how far this uh, disease has spread. We also don't ha- have enough inf- uh, information about the mass shutdowns uh, in terms of how w- how well they are going to stop the spread of this uh, this virus, or in terms of the costs of those uh, those steps. Because I don't think that politicians have a very good sense of just how interconnected our economy is, and just how much damage uh, shutting down major parts of the economy are going to cause, not just in terms of lost money. That's not even the important part, although that is significant. But in terms of things like mental health and overall health, I mean, if when, when people get scared uh, uh, that they're not going to be able to make rent, they're not going to be able to buy food, that has very uh, uh, important implications for, for mental health and overall health that uh, that it's not clear that the politicians who are putting these measures in, fa- in place are taking into account. Michael Cannon directs health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.